Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church, North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. So I'm excited to bring you part two. We are in this series that we are calling The Long Shots. Somebody say The Long Shots. Come on, say it a little louder. Say The Long Shots. So we are in this brand new teaching series that we are calling The Long Shots. And through this series, we are looking at ordinary men and ordinary women who did extraordinary things. I don't know about you, but have you ever felt like just kind of like ordinary at times? I've been there before where I felt like, you know, I don't, I don't know if, if my life has significance. I don't know if, I, if my life is really moving the needle here in this world. And um, I think we go through the, these spells in our life where we wonder if we have significance. And through the Bible and in particularly through these very ordinary people, we see that um, people will we're able to accomplish extraordinary things for God. And so that's what we've zeroed in on through this teaching series. And I'm excited to bring to you part two right now. So do me a favor. Go with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 17. Go with me to the book of Luke chapter 17. And we're going to continue on this series. We're going to dive into some fresh content. And I believe it is going to richly, richly bless your life. Are you all ready for it? Do me, a, do me a favor, look at your neighbor, look him square in the eye and tell him, are, ask him, are you ready? Are you ready? All right, we got those scriptures up on the screens. I think we got the verses out of order. Go to Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Should say, now on his way to Jerusalem. You see, was that what we got on the screens? Okay. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. Now they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back. Somebody say, came back. Came back. Came back. Praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was... A Samaritan. Jesus asked. Now, let me just pause there. Whenever you see these random insertions into the text, they're never random. They, they, they are never random. So we're going to peel that apart right now. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. For the next few moments, I'm going to talk to you on this thought, the one who came back, the one who came back. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are so thankful, God, for this opportunity to gather once again here in this place. I thank you, God, for every person who made it out. Daylight Savings Time didn't win. They made it into the tent, and here they are, ready to receive a word from you. I just pray, God, that you speak to us, that you open up our hearts, minds, and our spirits to receive what you're about to say. As I preach, God, would your spirit now just do an individual work in the life of every single person, speaking to them in a way that I never could. It can only be done by your spirit. Would you do that now? In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen and amen. Clap your hands, Lighthouse Church, and you may be seated. What I love about this series is we're talking about underdog stories. How many of you like a good underdog story? I do. I love those movies where it's all about the comeback kids. I I love those movies where people make a comeback. Nobody thought they could get the job done, and yet they get it done. Like, those are the stories that really tug at my heart. I mean, I love stories like Remember the Titans. You guys remember that movie, Remember the Titans? I love that movie. Absolutely. That's a Denzel movie. Any movie Denzel makes is going to be fire. That's my kind of guy right there. I love me a good Denzel movie, but... Um, He plays a great, great coach, Coach Boone, taking this team that really was up against all odds, and yet they go undefeated and they win the state of Virginia title. I love those underdog stories. Now, now what happens in a lot of these underdog stories is once they win, they go on to become like kings or queens of people of prominence. But, But in our stories, we're not really talking about that. These are just ordinary people that do extraordinary things, and then they kind of go back to being seemingly kind of ordinary in, in, in the sense that they don't become someone who's popular. They don't become someone who has a lot of followers on social media. They don't become influencers. They just kind of go back to doing what they did before, kind of like Emmett. Y'all know who Emmett is, right? Okay, let, let, how about now? Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. Come on. You know I got young boys when I know who Emmett is, right? You all know what I'm talking about, right? What movie am I talking about? The Lego Story. I mean, and it's funny because what's crazy about that movie is Emmett knows everybody, but nobody knows him. I mean, ain't that jacked up? I like what? I mean, Emmett knows everybody by like first name. He's that guy that knows everyone. He's like, hello, Phyllis. Hello, Joe. Hello, Bob. He knows everybody. And then when Emmett disappears, no one's like, who's Emmett? I don't know who Emmett is. It's kind of messed up when you're watching because he's just so ordinary that he's forgettable. He's just so ordinary that he's just like this nondescript person in this movie. And that's our introduction to Emmett. And he gets lost. And again, no one even realizes that. Emmett is lost. And he's so ordinary that throughout the movie, they introduce you to all these extraordinary people. Like, you know, you have Batman in the movie. And I thought the actor did a great job with Batman in that movie. I thought he just did a phenomenal job playing Batman. But you got all these different superheroes, and they have superpowers. But in the movie, their superpowers is their ability to build cool stuff. And when Emmett needed to flex on his superpowers, the only thing he can come up with was a two-story couch. Like, that's the movie. Some of you guys are like, really? Yeah, that's his superpower. Every time he goes to create something extraordinary, he makes a two-story couch. And that's, that's the whole premise of the movie. And that's just how ordinary Emmett is. And even when he saves the day and he saves, you know, he's the hero of the story. He's just so ordinary. He's just kind of that, that guy. He's just that dude. And it's easy to fall in love with him because of how ordinary he is. Now, now, in this text, I say that because I want to show you just how ordinary this person is in our text. So, so let me take you now into the text. We're going into Luke chapter 17 with that fresh revelation of Emmett. I'm going to take that in with us. But, but let's talk about the story of the 10 lepers. Now, the story of the 10 lepers is only found in one gospel, okay? It's only found in one gospel. It's only found in the gospel of Luke. Now, I think that's pretty intentional because who knows what Luke was? What was his day job? What was he by profession? He was a physician. So I think it would kind of, all the college students are yelling. They're trying to get their extra credit this Sunday. All of our Lighthouse college students, they, they think I'm giving out extra credit today. I'm not, all right? 
But you, but you can preach with me, though, okay? You can make some noise if you're in the Lighthouse College. <laughs> All right, so, so Luke is a physician, and I think that's the reason he has to put this medical miracle into the text. Like, anyone else, like, had it been the fisherman, he would have been like, eh, whatever. But the physician is like, there's these sick people who get miraculously healed. Ain't no way I'm not putting that in my gospel. I'm going to make sure I insert that into the text. He had this very keen interest in making sure that everybody knows the story. But in this story, it kind of gets interesting because when... We read Luke's account of the story of the 10 lepers. Now, keep in mind, he's a physician. And what makes Luke's gospel one of the, the, I enjoy reading Luke's gospel. Here's the reason why. Because he was a physician, because he was a doctor, he was very detail-oriented. How many of y'all want your doctors to be detail-oriented? Yeah, right? Like if you go in for surgery on your right foot, you want them to do surgery on your right foot. That's kind of important, right? I knew a man that the doctor actually did surgery on the wrong foot. Yeah. And so you know what that doctor did for him for the rest of his life? He bought him shoes for the rest of his life. Just said, my bad. I got the wrong foot. Let me correct it. And I'm just going to buy you shoes for the rest of your life. Like, true story. I knew that guy. Anyway, so, so you, you kind of want, yeah, some of you are like, what? Yeah, it happens, right? Like, you, you're like, I, I want a good physician who's going to operate on the right part of the body when I'm sick. And so Luke He's a detail-oriented guy. That's why I love reading his Gospels. But in Luke 17, he does something kind of strange because he says that Jesus entered into a village. Now, now if you read it in the King James Version, it says a certain village. You might think, what's the big deal, Pastor Josh? Luke is not telling us where he's at. That The very detail-oriented guy. I mean, there's a big difference if Jesus walks into Carlsbad, you know what I mean? That's, that's one location. Now, if he walks into Fallbrook, that's another location. How many know there's two different contexts between Fallbrook and Carlsbad? And one's not better than the other, but it's just different. It's, it's just different. There's some people in the room that like tend to disagree. They're like going to have a conversation at the coffee bar afterwards. They're like, well. But it's just different. And, and so if Jesus goes into Fallbrook or if Jesus goes into Carlsbad, you would kind of think that's kind of important, right? Because it kind of gives me an idea of what kind of people I'm talking, I'm dealing with here. I mean, is this Encinitas or is this Chula Vista? Like, like where is he going into? Because how many know that the people in Encinitas are just different? <laughs> hey, I live in North County now, okay? So I can say that with some authority. <laughs> Don't judge me. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the people from Mississippi. I'm just saying they're different. They just a little, little di- I love them, though. They're amazing. They're amazing people. They're like surfers, but they're fiscally conservative. Anyway, just, di- just different people. You know what I mean? They are, you see them, and you think, man, this guy looks so Democrat. But mess with his money, he, get re- he gets Republican on you very, very fast. Ve- very, very. That's what I've learned about people from Encinitas. Don't judge the book by their cover, okay? Because I thought they were just a bunch of surfer dudes, but now nah, they started to say mask up. They're like, hey, ain't putting on no mask. I was like, what? God, I didn't realize we had so many people like that in Encinitas. But anyway, there's just some context to where you're going. And yet Luke doesn't take the time to tell us where Jesus is. And I think that's interesting because Luke always let us know where Jesus was. He never skimped out on a detail. But in this story, he doesn't tell us where he is at. He doesn't give us the GPS location. He gives us no context. All he does is tell us is that Jesus was in a certain village. And then here's what happens next. The Bible says that these lepers hear that Jesus is in town, 
and they're far from him. Luke says they were a great distance from Jesus. They were far from him. And when they were far from him, they began to start shouting at him. They start shouting. They start shouting for Jesus to have mercy on them. Now, the reason they are far from him, and let me give you just a little backstory here, is if you had leprosy during the days of the Bible, during this time in history, you were not allowed to commingle with the population. Like, like they experienced COVID lockdown before COVID lockdown. Like if you had leprosy, they put you in your own little colony and you weren't allowed to leave. Like, like you stayed there in your own little colony and you could not leave that place. It was the leper's colony. And if, listen, this is how bad it was. If you ventured away from your colony, they'd kill you. <laughs> like they wouldn't give you a ticket. They would kill you. I mean, I had a friend who was working in China right about the time that all of this stuff broke out. And in China, they just handled it differently. He, I mean, he had to get out of China because in China, when they said it's time to lock down, they meant lockdown. And, and you know what they would do is they would tape like caution tape, caution um, lines, stickers to your door. And if they saw that it was broken, they'd come after you. And then if you broke that caution tape enough times, they'd weld your door shut. That's how they dealt with COVID in China. Like, they made sure you locked down. And so, like, in this leper's colony, it was like, you step out of the colony, you get killed. Now, what's interesting is Jesus walks close enough to the colony that they can see him, but he's not so close that he couldn't associate with them. And yet Jesus walks close enough to where the sick are that they know he's there and that they can shout and get his attention. I don't think that's by accident either. One thing you need to know about God is though you may feel alone, you're never alone. One thing you need to know about Jesus is you might feel like you're in an isolated place, but just because you can't feel him doesn't mean that he's not there. How many know he's never been the God of feelings? He's always been the God of truth. I'll say that one more time. He's never been a God of feelings. He's been a God of truth. And don't you be making important decisions based on how you feel now, okay? Because feelings are fleeting. I mean, you can have an ice cream and feel better, you know what I mean? But, but you know what I'm saying? Like discipline is not listening to your feelings. Discipline is telling your feelings how you're going to do things. You don't just wait to how you feel. So I feel alone. That doesn't mean God's not there. He's always there. He's everywhere present. Somebody say omnipresent. That means he's everywhere present. So, so don't just go based off of how you feel. Just because you feel alone doesn't mean you are alone. And what the enemy tries to do is convince you that your feelings are the truth. But I, my feelings are fleeting, man. I'm telling you right now, my feelings are everywhere. If I based all of my decisions based just on how I felt, I'd be in a mess right now. You have to step back and look at some truth and look at some arbitrary evidence. You got to step back from all of that. So these lepers, not only are they socially isolated and they're in a nondescript location, but they're far from God. And, and, and that's really the setting of where Jesus does his work. So they're in a nondescript location. Where are they at? No idea. Luke didn't care enough to say. And, and who, who's their company? Well, they're, they're, they're surrounded by nothing but other sick people. And they are far from God. Now, I'm not saying I'm a leper, but I can tell you I know what it's like to go through moments where I feel far from God. Can anyone be honest in the tent and say, I know what it's like to feel far from God? Here you gone through moments where you've felt far from God. You might even be in this tent right now and feel far 
from God and feel like, you know, I just don't feel near to him right now. I just don't feel like he's close to me right now. I just don't feel the presence of God. And this is the setting. And this is where Jesus begins to get to work. I love this because I love the way that Luke sets up the whole setting. And then it's like, and now Jesus got to work. Jesus does his best work, I believe, when all the situations seem like they're stacked up against you. I mean, if he only did his work when it was easy, you'd walk away thinking it was you. But how many times in the stories do we see that it's always one thing after another thing after another thing, and then God steps into the situation? I think he does that to remind us that he's in control. I think he does that to remind us that he's always with us. I think he does that to remind us that if God be for us, who can be against us? I said, who can be against us if God is for us? And so this is the setting, and this is where Jesus gets to work. So Jesus, when he sees the lepers, he does something crazy. He tells the lepers this. He says, go present yourselves to the priest. Leave your little colony and go to the priest and present yourself. Now, now that's a problem. You know what I'm saying? Like, just them leaving the colony is like, but we're risking our lives. If, 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 we're, if we're not healed, we really shouldn't leave. But also what was custom in that time was if your leprosy went away, if you were finally well from leprosy, it was the priest that would inspect you and then say, okay, you're good to go back with your family. Now you, it was the priest who held all of the authority in saying, okay, in that custom, if you go and read the, the law, it was only the priest that could inspect a person with leprosy and say, okay, you're fit to go back into the rest of society. And Jesus says to them, while they were sick, go to the priest, go to the temple, make your, get on out there. And if I'm the leper, I'm probably like, but I'm not ready. Like, I'm, I'm sick, and you want me to go to the priest? I mean, I can see the boils on my skin. I shouldn't leave the leper's colony. And yet you're telling me to leave the leper's colony? And isn't this just a beautiful description of the church right here, Lighthouse? I, I see a beautiful description of the church in this passage of Scripture because the lepers were probably thinking, shouldn't I go to the temple when I'm well? And Jesus is saying, you don't go to the temple when you're well. You go to the temple to get well. And the same way with, with the same way in church, you don't wait till you have your life together to get to the church. You go to the church and with the help of God, he's going to help you get your life together. If you're taking notes, write this down. Bring yourself to the church. Bring yourself to the church. You see, the church has always been the original hospital. I've never understood why people thought that the church was some sort of country club for the well. It's never been God's design for it to be a country club for the well, a country club for people who had their stuff together. The church has always been the one place where if you were going through it, if life was coming at you hard, if you were in the middle of a struggle, if your marriage was falling apart, you knew, I got to get to the church. I need to get into the house of God. I need to get to the place where God's at. And the church has made a mess out of this because so many times we show up and we wear a facade and we got people thinking that you only come to church when everything is perfect. And that couldn't be further from the truth. We go to church because we are in need of a savior. We come to church because we are in need of his presence. We come to church because there are things going on in our lives that only God can fix. Only God can heal. Only God can mend. Why would I want to stay away from the one place I should go where all that I need is there? The Bible says in the presence of the Lord, there is the fullness of joy at his right hands. There's pleasures forevermore. If you're sad, get to the church. If you're addicted to drugs, 
get to the church. If you're an alcoholic, get to the church. If your marriage is falling apart, get to the church. If you've been abused, get to the church. If, you're, if, if your spouse has been acting up and cheating on you, get to the church. It doesn't matter what you're going through. You should get to the church. And I love this picture because Jesus tells them, go to the temple. And they're probably thinking, I can't go to the temple. I'm sick. I'm not well. But I love how Jesus makes them put their faith. Somebody say faith. faith. He makes them put their faith into action. He said, I want you to get to the temple because they're saying we want to be well. And sometimes we're like, God, I want you to change this situation in my life. And God is able to change it. But I believe all throughout the New Testament, we see this example where God wants us to participate with what he is doing. Somebody say participate. God wants us to participate. If you're taking notes, write this down. Your healing is in your action. Your healing is in your action. When, 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 when you are asking God, God, I, my finances are out of control, I oftentimes think God's going to also, not only does he want to bless you, but he also wants to make sure you can start managing what he's already given you. Because some of y'all struggle to manage $100, ain't no way he's giving you 100000 He already knows you can't manage 100 I'd be foolish to give you more of what you can't manage. And so there's this, di- there's, so there's this divine participation. And, and these lepers are like, we want to get well. And Jesus is like, okay, go to the temple. It, and, and I'm sure that messed with them because they're probably thinking, we can't go to the temple. We're not well. And, and, and Jesus is looking at them saying, can you mobilize your faith? Can, can you put your faith into action? How many know that faith is an action word? Faith? is an action word. Faith looks like something. Paul talked about this in Hebrew. He says faith is a substance. Somebody say substance. Faith is the, there's substance to faith. There there is tangible evidence of faith. Faith looks like something. You can't say I'm a person of faith and yet there's nothing about you that says faith. This is what James, the brother of Jesus said when he said faith without works is what? Dead. James said it this way, show me your works and I'll know that you've got faith. That's not to say we're saved by our works, but our works demonstrate that we are people of faith. Our works demonstrate that our faith is in action. This is why we're saved by grace through faith. But after that, your life ought to tell the story of someone who's living by faith. Come on, how many just love those people that are living by faith? Like they're just living by faith. I remember my, my mother-in-law, she's a praying mother-in-law. She's always praying. And I remember someone told me, I ran into your mother-in-law at the supermarket. I told her I had this issue. Could you please pray for me? I thought your mother-in-law was going to go back home and pray about it. But no, like right there in the supermarket, she laid hands on me, started speaking in other tongues. She started praying for me. I was like, well, you told the wrong woman that. That's your fault. That ain't her fault. You should have known. That's a woman of faith right there. You say pray for me, guess what? She's going to pray for you right there. I mean, if you're on the highway, she's going to flag you down, pull you over, make you stop, <laughs> lay hands, call the pastor. She's going to pray for you. A person of faith. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Just, just people of faith. How many of you just appreciate people of faith? Yeah. I had this pastor at our church growing up, and Joanne and I, we were at the same church growing up, and Man, anytime you came to visit, because he had kids our age, and anytime we'd go visit our friends, before we left, I mean, before we left, you didn't leave his house without him praying for you. I mean, you'd think he was taking a nap, but like the spirit would awake him. 
You're like, we can slip out right now. He's sleeping. We'd walk to the door. He'd already be there. And he'd always say the same thing. Saints, can I pray for you before you leave? I mean, he'd ask the question, but he wasn't asking a question. You know what I'm talking about, Philly. Pastor Phil was there too. But I thank God for those prayers of faith, right? I thank God for people like that who prayed. It didn't make a difference. They'd pray for you. Somebody say faith. And so, you know, it takes faith to put, when you put your faith in action, you begin to see the hand of God move. You begin to see the hand of God work. We're going to two services next Sunday. And there's somebody, come on, somebody. Why? We're putting our faith in action. I said we're putting our faith in action. And I don't want to hear anyone else complain about sitting in the sun. We're going to open up some more room. Okay, you get inside the tent, all right? Don't be telling me, Pastor, I'm sitting in the sun. Come at 930, sit inside the tent right here. We have a good time. I'll have some coffee ready for you, you know what I'm saying? We'll have some coffee, croissants together. It's going to be a good day. Let me ask. Let me just insert this right there. Where are my 930 crowd? Where's my 930 crowd? Raise your hand. All right, all right. There's my 930 crowd right there. You know what I love about this crowd right here? I'm not preaching right now. Just let me talk to you, all right? This, this is a crowd that is ready to have brunch. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is the brunch crowd. They're going to be like, it's 1030. God bless you. I'm out for the day. I'll see you next Sunday. I'm on my way to Legoland. I'm on my way to the beach. I'm on my way for brunch. That's my brunch crowd. All right, where's my 11 a.m. crowd? Where's my 11 a.m. crowd? Raise your hand. That's my sleeping crowd right there. Come on. There's two types of people, right? Come on now. There's people that are gonna get up and win the day, and then there's some people like are the night owls. They're like, nah, fam. <laughs> You ain't waking me up before 7 a.m. The devil is a liar. <laughs> like, there's only sometimes I want to see on my clock once. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to see six more than once. Just six p. I don't want to see six twice. I ain't going to see six in the a.m. and six in the p.m. The, de- the Six is an evil number. I ain't going to see it at. <laughs> and I love, how, I love how we get to this place where, where action says my faith is in God and not in myself. Take notes. Write that down. Action says my faith is in God and not in myself. Because because when you wait until you get your stuff together, you are more dependent on you than you are on God. Did you catch that? It's really simple, but we could miss it. If you consistently wait until you can do it, then it is all on you and not on God. Well, I'll start being generous with the church when I can get my finances together. Start giving in advance. Just, just, just make a decision to start giving in advance. Well, I'll, be, I'll join the dream team when work isn't so crazy. I, I'd say just join the dream team right now. I'd say, I'd say get going right now. I'll start treating my wife better when she's nice to me. Hey, hold on, somebody. My God. One of you needs to initiate it. Come on, somebody. I'm waiting on her, Pastor. The Lord, Lord needs to humble her, and then I'll be nice. No. Like, like you, you have to start this thing. I just blessed someone's marriage right now. They're like, someone just got jabbed in the ribs. Like, He's talking to you. That's a word from the Lord. He's prophesying. God's using the pastor today. Faith steps out even when things seem illogical. Faith steps out even when things seem illogical. Faith made Noah built an ark even when there was no rain. I, I know some of y'all, you've heard the story of the ark, but can I just give you the context? It had not rained in hundreds of years, okay? 
potentially even thousands of years, and that's when Noah started building the ark. They don't teach you that in Sunday school, you know what I'm saying? You're thinking like, yeah, build a boat. It's going to rain. You got to understand. People in their lifetime had never seen rain when Noah started building the ark. And he started telling people, it's going to rain. They were probably looking like, brother, it ain't rained our whole life. Like, I've been my whole life. I've never seen rain. And you're saying water is going to fall from the sky? And yet, when did Noah start building the ark? Before it rained. Faith made Abraham believe God for a son when he was 100 years old. <laughs> Just think about the logistics, Lighthouse. Don't get so holy on me right now, okay? Abraham's 100 years old, and he's like, I'm going to have a kid. I mean, think about the craziness of it. Faith told Joshua, I want you to walk around the walls of Jericho, and they're going to fall. Are we going to throw any grenades? No, just walk. <laughs> just, just walk. So I walk, yes. And then on the seventh day, I shout, yes. And the walls are going to come down, yes. Uh, how many of you would have just been like, back to Egypt? I'm going back. <laughs> I'm going back. At least they fed me in Egypt. You know, I was a slave, but man, at least they fed me. But, but yet, faith said, start walking. How about Gideon? Gideon led an army of 300 people against an army of tens, if not hundreds of thousands, and they won. I mean, could you imagine being one of the 300 when Gideon says, we're going to fight that army? And you're like, is this it? This is it? Yes, this is it. You see, all throughout the Bible, we see these stories where faith preceded action. Not, not, not oh, I'll wait until I see it. No, you move forward, even if you don't see it. Now, how many of you know that that doesn't make sense? Okay, let me, let me message you right now. Faith doesn't make sense. <laughs> and I know all of my logical people in the room, you're like, oh, God, Pastor, I need it to make sense. It never will. It, it never will make sense. To give when you don't have to give, that doesn't make sense. But sometimes God will ask you to do it. You want me to do this before I see this happen? But that's the way God works. And, and here's the deal. I have more faith in what I can't see than what I can see. And I'm not saying here to pat myself on the back, but, but I've got an understanding and a revelation that everything we see now was made from things we can't see. God just spoke, and all of a sudden the world had to come into alignment. Why? Because God said it. And I choose to partner with that now because I believe that if he said it back then, he could say it right now again. How many of you know that all it takes is one word from God to completely upend your life, change your situation, and turn everything around? It only takes one word from God. One word. And I, and I choose to put my faith in him. Come on, tell your neighbor my faith is in him. My faith is in him. Let me go back to the story here. So the 10 lepers, they go to the priests, and, and when they go to the priest, they're waiting for the priest to sign off. Okay, you look good. You pass quality control. Like the, Steve, the priest was Stephen, you know what I mean? Stephen works in quality. He's like, okay, you're good to go. You know what I mean? That's what the priest would do. So the lepers make their way to the priest, and, and when they get to the priest, they're miraculously healed because they put their faith in action, and the priest looks at them and says, y'all are healed. You can come up out of the colony. You're good to go. And now... Nine lepers go back home. Now, I'm not mad at the nine if I'm being honest with you. Like, if you isolated me from my wife 
And if you isolated me from my kids, can I be honest with you and tell you that the first place I'd go if they said I was free to return to my family, the first place to go probably wouldn't be the church. And I love you all, but I'd probably go home to my bed. I'd probably go home to my house. I'd want to see my wife. I'd want to see my kids again. So don't be all mad at the nine, okay? Of course, you know, of course God didn't heal. Look at the, they didn't even give God praise. They, come on, some of y'all don't even give God praise for and God does abundantly more than that for you. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes we're like, I can't believe they didn't go back there. Only one went back. Somebody say only one. And we get to this part of the story. Now, now on my Lighthouse calls, you better lean in right now, okay? I'm going to give you guys some stuff we do on Tuesday night. So it's funny because... The Bible says this, so nine go home, and, and I, I can understand why they went home, and one goes to Jesus, and now we get this insertion into the text when Luke says, and it was a Samaritan. Remember I said I'd come back to that? And it was a Samaritan. This reminds me of like a Scooby-Doo cartoon. You guys remember the Scooby-Doo cartoons when they didn't know who the bad guy was, and then they took the mask off, and it was a, oh, it's Mr. So-and-so. <laughs> they didn't know who was who because... As lepers, they were completely covered. They'd hide. They would hide their wounds. I could talk about that on a whole other sermon. So they didn't know who was who because they were all covered up. But when this one comes back, Luke says, and he was a Samaritan. Why did he say that? Okay, we're in Luke chapter 17. Let me explain to you the significance of that Samaritan. Let's go to Luke chapter 9. So we're going to Go back in time now. Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56, and it reads as follows. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. And they went into a Samaritan. Somebody say Samaritan. He went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him. Catch that? But the people that, those Samaritans, they did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. I love this next part right here. I'm going to preach this in just a second. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, oh Lord, my iPad turned off. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, this is wigging out on me for a second. Give me one sec. Sorry about that. They asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? Yes, these were two of the 12 disciples. These were the men who had walked with Jesus for nearly three years. And they said, God, can we burn them? Can we drop an A-bomb on them? Like, can we do it? Can we do it? They were crazy. How many of y'all know that Jesus ran with some crazy people? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. Okay, so Jesus said, let's go through Samaria. I'm making my way to Jerusalem. And the Samaritans were like, you can't come through here. You're not allowed to go through here. Now, you might think, well, what's the significance of that? Well, let's go back to John chapter 4. Somebody say John chapter 4. This is early on in Jesus' ministry. John chapter 4, verses 39 through 42. And it says this many. Now, now, let me give you some context. Jesus decides to go into Samaria. And his disciples are like, oh, Jesus, don't go through Samaria. Because there was a lot of racism that existed in that time. And the Jews were very, very at conflict with the Samaritans. There was just flat-out racism. This was just like no commingling. So when Jesus said, I need to go through Samaria, the disciples were like, we don't go through Samaria. That's on the opposite side of town, Jesus. Don't you know what type of people live there? Samaritans live there. I was like, like we ain't going through Samaria. And the Bible says, Jesus said, I need 
to go through Samaria. So in John chapter 4, and I'm coming to a close now, Stephen. In John chapter 4, Jesus travels through Samaria, and he stops at a well, and he has a conversation with a woman at the well. And he begins to prophesy to her, and he begins to preach the gospel to her. And this is where we catch up now. Verse 39 through 42. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She said, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And so he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So put it all together. Here's, here's what happens. In John 4, the disciples are like, you can't go through there. Dealing with a lot of racism. Jesus says, I'm going to go through there. And he goes in. He flips, the, he flips Samaria on its head. They love him. They warmly receive him. Jesus is the man in Samaria. He, he, he comes back some years later. Now we're in Luke chapter 9. And they turn on him. And now the disciples, this just validated all of their feelings. Now you know why they just want to blew them up. They're like, these ungrateful I mean, the last time we were here, you saved them, you delivered them, you healed them, and now they won't welcome you? That's why they said, let us blow this place up. These were the crazy cousins. How many of y'all got some crazy cousins that always are looking for a fight? Like, just always. Like, like show up to a restaurant just looking at the room like, who's here? Just looking to start a fight. And if some of you are like, I don't have that cousin, you are that cousin. And God's dealing with you. Some of you looking at me right now. Did he just call me that cousin? I have some words with him. But, but do, do you understand why James here got salty? It's like, wait a second. The last time we were here, you did miracles. You healed them. You delivered them. And now they don't want to receive you? Let's just burn it to the ground. Come on. Let's just burn it to the ground. That's in Luke chapter 9. You know what I love about Luke chapter 10? Because in Luke chapter 10, this is all called context now. So in Luke chapter 10... Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. The disciples were all in their feelings hurt because the Samaritans wouldn't receive Jesus, so Jesus had to move on. And yet in the very next chapter, a lawyer comes to Jesus and asks him, who is my neighbor? And Jesus delivers the message of the Good Samaritan. Now he's talking to the lawyer, but he's kind of side-eyeing the disciples. <laughs> as he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. He's teaching them, even if people don't receive me, I still love them. Even if people don't receive me, I'm still for them. They, they don't have to acknowledge me as their God for me to be their God. I'm their God whether they acknowledge me or not. I'm their savior whether they acknowledge me or not. So Jesus is talking to the lawyer, but you better believe he's talking loud enough for James and John to hear. <laughs> He's like, you two crazies that want to blow this place up, listen to me. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you about the Good Samaritan. And so he's talking to them. And so now when we get to Luke chapter 17, this is why Luke says they unmasked the guy. And they're like, uh, it's a Samaritan. Because the disciples in this moment were over the Samaritans. They were like, they can all go to hell for all we care. They were over them. But once again, 
the way Jesus works, he brings us back to this place. And I love this because it shows us how God is unrelenting in his love towards us. It shows us that God never gives up on us. It shows us that even if we turn our back on God, he don't turn his back on us. Do you want to know who knew that that leper was a Samaritan? Jesus knew. Because he's all-knowing. Nobody else knew. Jesus knew. And did Jesus withhold healing this Samaritan just because the last time he went through Samaria, they were salty and kicked him out? No, no, no. Jesus still healed the Samaritan. And the reason this matters is because the extraordinary thing that this Samaritan did was not just receive his healing. That might feel very, very personal. But what he did was once again bring all of Samaria back into a place of grace with God and with his disciples. Because the disciples were out on the Samaritans. They were like, they can all just go. They can just go. They, don't, they, they weren't nice to us. And Jesus brings them all back to this point once again, tells them the story of the good Samaritan, brings them back to this point where he expresses them, and he heals this leper just to tell us one more time, I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. And just because you turned your back on me, it doesn't mean I turned my back on you. I am for you. And God uses this leper to be the bridge back to the Samaritans receiving the grace of God, the love of God. He's in the redemptive plan of God. God uses this Samaritan one more time. And what I love about this is after they unmask him, Jesus says this. He says to him, where are the other nine? And he's like, I don't know where they went. I'm paraphrasing. But I don't know where they went, but I'm here. And I'm praising you. And I'm thanking you for what you did. I'm thanking, thanking you that you didn't hold my nationality against me. And you healed me. Even though my people weren't too kind to you, you still healed me. And so then Jesus says to him, and you read this in the King James Version. He says, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. Somebody say whole. Whole. Somebody say healed. healed. There's a difference between being healed and there's a difference between being made whole. Okay. And, and this is the last thing that I want you to write down. God doesn't want you just to be healed, but he wants you to be whole. You might be asking, well, what's the difference between healing and being made whole? You can be healed from a physical sickness and yet still, with, and still deal with the trauma that you endured when you were sick. And, and, and so you might still feel a certain way about people that turned their back on you when you needed them the most. So, so maybe you're dealing with the pain of divorce. And, and God heals you of the pain of that divorce, but because you're not whole, you still won't talk to certain people. But because you're not whole, you won't go to a room if certain people are there. Because you're not whole, you still have trauma. Because you're not whole, you still have PTSD. This is the reason a lot of people have turned their back on the church, because they went through some sort of pain from the church, and they're not made whole. They're, they're, they're not made whole. Somebody, not God, somebody hurt them in the church and they're dealing with their own trauma and they've not received wholeness. So they're like, I still worship God in my garage. I still worship God all by myself. You're not whole yet. And somehow you canceled God, not for what he did to you, but because of what some other broken person did to you. And we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And what God wants to do is he doesn't just want to make you heal. He doesn't just want to heal you. 
but he wants to make you whole. He wants your mind to be right. He wants your heart to be right. He wants your soul to be right. I'm better. I just don't talk to her no more better, but, Pastor, but I'm better. He, he, <laughs> he, he wants you to be whole. He, he, he wants you to be whole. And, and I believe right now that there are many of you that have come to this church. You've been coming for a few weeks. Next week, we're getting ready to do Baptism Sunday. And it's time for you to put your faith in action. I love God, but I'll get baptized when I get my stuff together. Listen, if you could get your stuff together without God, you wouldn't need him. That's just the truth. If you could get your stuff together without God, then you wouldn't need him. There's no reason for you to get baptized at that point if you can get yourself together. I don't get baptized. The, the reason I go into, the reason I am baptized is it because I am just saying, I need your help, God. And with your help, I know everything can be better. With your help, I know I can be made whole. So Lighthouse, next Sunday is that opportunity for you to take your next step. And again, I'm just talking right now to those of you that have not yet made that decision to be baptized. If you have not yet made that decision to be baptized and you love Christ and you want a life that's going to be radically changed, if you want God to continue to do a work on you from the inside out, listen, all you have to do is receive what he's already done for you. Baptism is an outward confession of what God is doing in you on the inside. It's the washing away of your sins. It's God making all things new again. Baptism is for you. So if you've never made that decision, go to the start of your canopy right after the tent. Let them know. I want to make that decision. And we, would, and we are going to celebrate. We're going to throw a big old party for you next week. It's going to be incredible. But listen to me. He also wants to make you whole. That's profound, Lighthouse Church. He doesn't just want to heal your body. He wants to heal your mind. He wants to heal your spirit. He wants to heal your soul. He doesn't just, he, he wants to make everything well. He doesn't just want you to be healed from the trauma, but he wants to make your house whole. Your home, your children. How many of y'all want wholeness today, Lighthouse? I said, how many want wholeness? I need, I need wholeness in my life. Would you stand to your feet with me right now? I want to thank you so much. We're going to get ready to pray and take some next steps right now. But listen, I believe God wants the best for you. I believe he's got a plan for you. I believe he's got a plan to prosper you. I believe he's got a plan for you that has hope. And I believe he's got a plan for you. He's got a future for you. I believe that. All it takes is putting some faith into action. It, it, it means taking on the posture like that leper where we come back. We, we come back again and again. And it, how many times do I come back to Christ? Christ, as many times as it takes. We keep coming back until we receive our wholeness. And would you raise your hands right now all over this tent? We're going to get ready to worship. Would you just begin to talk to your father? What is it that you need from him right now? Would you tell him, I, I, need, I need wholeness in my marriage. I need, I need wholeness in this area of my life. I, I need wholeness in this place right here. I, I'm no longer going through that situation, but man, there's some trauma in me. There's some lingering effects in me. There, there's some stuff in me that I, I'm not well. I'm not, I, I put on a good face and I, I drag myself to the church on Sunday, but I've got some things that I'm still working through. I believe God wants to heal those things right now. I believe God wants to touch those things right now. I believe God wants to touch every area of your life. If you need that type of healing right now, would you just talk to your Father as we worship Him together? Would you just talk to Him and say, Father, I need all things to be made new again. I need all things to be renewed again. I need all things, God, 
to be changed. I need all things one more time, Father. I need you now more than I've ever needed you before. I need you now more than I've ever needed you before. Come on, let's just continue to call out to him right now. Our worship team's going to lead us in worship. But would you talk to him right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Thank you, We love you. pastors that are in the room, would you come meet me at the altar right now? I really feel today, we don't do it every Sunday, but I really feel today that make an altar call. I have my pastors come on up, your wives coming up as well, and we're going to pray. I really feel to pray for some of you right now that are just, you've got a great need right now. There's just things in your life that you need to pray for. No one's asking, no one's going to question you, but we would love to partner with you, and we love to pray with you. So if you are ready to take that step forward, like that leopard, to put your faith into action. You might be the type of person like, Pastor, I don't go to them altar calls, Pastor. Don't make me go to them all. And I understand that. But I'm asking right now, is there's anyone that needs to put their faith into action? Run up here right now. We're going to go back into some worship. But our pastors are going to pray with you. I don't know what it is that you're going through. We don't need to know what it is that you're going through. But we would love for the opportunity to pray with you. Would you come and our pastors are just going to lay hands on you. And they're going to pray with you. But meet us up here. If there's something that you need prayed for, if there's a situation that you need God to touch, would you run up here? Maybe this is something at work. Maybe this is something with your marriage. Maybe this is something in your finances. This might be your relationship with other people. Just run on up here. Run on up here. And we want to pray with you. We want to make an agreement with you. God is going to touch you right where you are at. Whatever it is you're going through, God is here. And in this moment, healing is in the house. Come on. Let's put some faith in the action right now. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.